Welcome back to Sextras. Where we talk about sex and all the extras. I'm Honey. And I'm Maria. And welcome back to our fourth episode of our family parenting and sex mini-series. Yeah, I hope you guys are loving it. Yeah, I feel I'm really like proud of this mini-series. Yeah, honestly, I'm like, I want to like send it to... Maybe I'm, I won't name and shame, but like I have like people in mind that I want to send yeah. stuff to or like tell them about stuff I, we've learned. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I feel like we've been learning so much. Mm-hmm. And today we are joined by Dr. Tina Sherma Sellers, who is the author of Shameless Parenting, a book about shameless parenting, shocker. And she's also a therapist and she's going to talk to us about how you can raise kids in like sex positive, shame free ways, like what the right way to talk to kids about sex is and also like different developmental stages and like what's age appropriate and stuff. And yeah, we learned so much and she was just like the loveliest woman ever so we (laughs) hope you guys enjoy the episode yeah let's get into it thank you so much for joining us tina it's so nice to meet you thank you i'm so thrilled to be here with you both (laughs) we're so excited this is an episode we've been wanting to do for like pretty much since we started the podcast like talk about how to raise kids in a sex positive way Mm -hmm. because i feel like it's quite it's something that people talk about quite a lot but no one really like knows the answers necessarily and like obviously it's something that like your upbringing impacts so yeah we're really excited to hear like your expert <laughs> advice <laughs> yeah well I love talking about it done an enormous amount of research and work and raised my own four kids and actually I had the good fortune of growing up in a sex positive Scandinavian immigrant home so I I have some first person knowledge on it so it's super fun for me to talk about cool yeah I read a bit on your website about how you were raised in like just a really open family and I love because I feel like normally when we talk to people who are like into talking about sex it's always like yeah I had like I was raised in like a really repressed way or whatever and then I got into it like I realized how important it was and like now here I am which is obviously great but yours was the first one where I was like oh wow it's like actually a really nice story. (laughs) No I feel really lucky and I I don't even think I came to appreciate it until I was well into my 30s and then had heard enough stories was like oh my gosh, I'm the one that grew up in an odd family and I didn't know it, you know? (laughs) Wow, okay. And I talked to my sister about it because obviously she grew up in the same home and we just took it for granted. We kind of thought everybody's home was like that and we learned later that that, in fact, was a really weird and odd family in the U.S. anyway to have. Yeah, and and what what was that like? Can Can you share a little bit of sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So most people often grow up with, you know, people talking about recipes or how you keep your teeth healthy or what good nutrition is. And they learn about it in very little ways all along the way, right? You know, like you learn something at three and then you learn something different at four and five, not different from each other, but it kind of builds on itself, right? Around health and wellness or 
being kind to people or whatever. There's lots of things that we teach in incremental ways naturally and have for generations. Um, well, that's how I learned about bodies and sexuality and relationships too, is it just would emerge because I would touch myself or I would notice something or say something. And someone in my life, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my great aunts, you know, someone would offer information just right then, you know, like, well, that's a wonderful part of your body. This is the way it's built. Do you want to see a picture of it? Yeah. You know, like that. And then I would go off and it would come up again in some other ways, you know, like, well, gosh, do you think that's fair the way you talk to that person? Would you want them to talk to you that way? You know, so learn about how you treat people, you know, or just different kinds of bodies. You know, I might notice somebody's in a wheelchair and say something and they'd be like, yeah, you know, people have different kinds of bodies and some bodies, the legs don't work as well. And so they have this great chair that takes them around, you know? So just, I would get these, what I call, learn to call sound bite sex and body things that just got plunked in along the way in very natural kinds of ways. So I didn't think anything of it. There was no such thing as a talk because you were talking about it all the time in normal age appropriate ways, you know, as it came up. And so I just learned a lot. I mean, I can, I can, I've got so many stories in my head, but I can remember being 15, 16 and I was dating one of the, like the football quarterback at my high school or something. And I was going out on a date and my dad said, Hey, you know, the difference if somebody says, I want to touch your pecs, you know what they're going for, don't you? And I'm like, of course I know what they're going for because my boobs are on top of my pecs, you know? I'm not stupid, Dad, you know? And he's like, okay, just making sure you got this stuff figured out, you know? It was like that as I'm running out the door, you know? Yeah. It was very natural and kind of ongoing. And, and I just didn't appreciate what that did for me, even though I was often the, the one that people would ask questions to, because I knew, I knew anatomy and I knew how things functioned. And I would call BS if somebody said something, it didn't make sense. You know, I'd be like, that's not true. Do you even know? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know? So that's kind of how it was. It was very integrated into everything else, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that is the best way for kids to learn things is when their curiosity arises that the somebody is there to give them the scaffolding around that curiosity, you know, the knowledge around that curiosity. So then they feel equipped out in the world to not be exploited or bamboozled or, you know, whatever, you know, they just, they kind of have it, what they need. Yeah, that's so true. And I feel like with kids, like my mom, when I started this podcast, told me that I always used to just like walk around with like my hand between my legs or whatever or like just would be touching myself and I feel like it is such a natural curiosity for kids but then it's not normal to talk yeah. about it because mm -hmm. I guess like the parents are ashamed or it's like not the right thing to yeah. do so I think that's like a really interesting and like makes so much sense yeah. that approach that mm -hmm. should be the way that it right. is Right. If you ha if you don't pathologize the body or people's desire for connection and pleasure, you just see it as a human thing, then people can more freely talk about it, right? But if they 
feel like they can't or they're embarrassed or they feel shame or whatever. It's just an indicator that somebody treated them that way when they were that age. So they, so when they reach in to pull out their resources, what they have is silence and this is shameful and it must be bad because everybody kept it quiet, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, um, and so that's what they then have Mm. when their own children, you know, are just being exactly their age, doing exactly their job description at that age, you know? Mm -hmm. And so how was it being growing up in a really open household then to teach people how to raise their kids in that way? Like what, what kind of things do you say to them? How, what kind of advice do you give? Or like, what even is the definition of shameless parenting? Right. Well, I would say shameless parenting is seeing children's body and pleasure and sensual and relational interests, curiosities, as a very lovely, normal, typical part of development. And so if you see it as all good, then you're, you can be invited into talking about it in a way that just says, yeah, okay, so here's, here's kind of some information that you might need that would be helpful to understand this where you are right now, you know, as they bring it up. Um, it doesn't tend to happen often because so many people were shamed when they were growing up. And, and when we think about it, you know, like little ones at about 12 months old, between 10 and 12 months, they now understand that this is their hand and that they can reach towards things. You know, and it's just a matter of time before that hand lands on their genitals, whether they're getting a diaper change or they're in the bathtub. And when it does, there are so many nerve endings at the tip of a penis or in the clitoris that the child is pretty excited to find that part of their body because they're pleasure oriented, of course, too. That's normal. They just need somebody to explain, oh, yeah, this is a wonderful part of your body. And of course, it feels good to touch. You know, and then when they're about three or four, you can, when they can hold memory better, you say, we're going to, when we want to touch that part of our body, which is wonderful, we're going to do it either in our bedroom or in the bathroom, because we also do privacy around that. And that's what we do too, the grownups in the family. That's what we do too. And so I'm going to remind you just to use your, go to your room or go to the bathroom and enjoy yourself. That's wonderful. It's just teaching them then the social mores you know, when the time comes that they can start to learn those. Um, But so many people didn't have someone treat them that way, that when their child does that, they're frozen. Mm. They're like, I don't know what to do, you know? And um, what they're, what I, um, the book that I wrote, that's called Shameless Parenting, Everything You Need to Raise Shamefully Confident Kids and Heal Your Shame Too. It's birth to two, two to four, four to six, all the way up to 18. And in each section, I say, here's what kids, the behavioral tasks are, their emotional tasks tend to be at this age range. Here's their sexual and sensual curiosities at this range. And then I, I say, how does it feel for you to imagine your child discovering things in this way during this time? If you're noticing that you feel um, silenced or afraid or whatever. That's just an indicator that somebody didn't know what to do with you. And so why don't you write about what might have happened for you if you can't remember and what you would have needed or wanted 
And that's going to help free you, sort of help suspend some of that shame so that you can then provide for your child what they're needing when they start to do these things, right? So that you can change the legacy for your child. And you can change it in one generation. It's super doable. But you've got to heal your own shame, work on your own shame in order to do that Mm -hmm. for your kids. And so part of what I do is just help them understand some child development stuff that they might not have gotten or are getting. I mean, right now, I think in the U.S., we have really made getting child good child development information difficult. You know, we have some birth to five, and then it's almost like it disappears. Like, all you're supposed to focus on is career and college or something. I don't know. Um, but it's not, here's how they keep going. Here's how they keep, you know, progressing. So providing that just, here's the range of typical, you know, and then here's some of what kiddos need from you when they're doing things in this range, you know. And then if it feels hard to do that, then that's just your shame that needs to be healed. And here's some ways to heal that so that you can do that. That's kind of what I do is I just walk parents through each developmental stage so that all you have to do is be a year or two ahead of your kid. You don't have to have it all figured out, but just be a little bit ahead. Here's the top resources you can get, top books you can get, you know, top websites to go to, to help hold your hand. You know, and just I'm just trying to make it easier for parents to do this thing that they're scared to do, but they want to do better than what's done for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that so much. I feel like everyone needs to know that. Yeah, no, 100%. I am quite curious to know if you could say what could be age appropriate for those age groups. Get a little bit into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So birth to two, around a year, they're figuring out their hand and they're often going to find their genitals somewhere in there. And that's going to be great. And pretty soon they'll remember. And so when they're like sitting and watching TV or getting a book read to them or whatever, their hands will go there because it's soothing and comforting. It's not masturbation in the sense that we tend to think about it later in life when somebody's trying to move themselves through their own arousal cycle to orgasm. This is just like, I always say like the soft inside ear of their bunny or, um, you know, the corner of their blanket or whatever. It's just comforting and it's right there on their body. And so they're just, that's all they're doing is comforting themselves. And that it's great. And they're not going to remember to use their, go to their room or whatever until about three and four. And then they'll be able to follow through with that information And then you just are like, oh, I'm glad you love that part of your body. I want you to try to remember to go to your room because we do this in privacy. That's just kind of what we do in our culture, you know, in our society, whatever. That's that age. So three and four, that gets into they're able to begin to hold the beginning of the learnings of some social mores about bodies. They might also around three or four start to figure out if they're exposed to different genders, they might start being curious about gender differences. You know, some kids don't feel like the gender they were assigned at birth. And maybe somewhere between three and five, they'll begin to say, I'm, I'm not Tommy, I'm Susie. And I like wearing this and you need to call me Susie. And I mean, they, they can start doing this because gender identification can begin as early as three and four. 
And I'm always saying to parents, if your child is like that, get support from a therapist, from a pediatrician that understands gender identity and support your child in being their most authentic self. Because if they're a strong-willed child and that's important to them and you push against that, you tell them they can't, they're going to begin to get really depressed. And kids can be suicidal by the age of 10 if they haven't been given that as a option, then um, kids can get really pulled inside, you know, in this kind of desperate kind of way. So it's hard for people to understand that since the vast majority of people identify with what they were assigned at birth. It, it can feel if it's they've not been exposed to kids who identify different, it can feel like, what did I do wrong? Did I do something? Whatever. And I'm always like, we feel our gender on the inside. That's what we feel. And most identify with what they were assigned. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm a this, I'm a that, you know. But there are, you know, three or 4% of kids mm-hmm. that don't. And so I don't in a strong way. And so we've got to honor that. So that's what's happening, you know, sort of in the three and four range is some gender identification might emerge and um, and they're, they're beginning to hold some social mores that we can begin to teach them. Um, once we get five, six, seven in there, um, this is when we become curious about others' bodies. Like we've got our body figured out. We become curious about others' bodies. And, and so this is when doctor play can tend to happen, you know, because it's like, well, what's yours look like? This is what mine looks like, you know. Again, super normal. But what I'm often saying to parents as kids get into this range is it's real important that kids are playing with other children within 18 months of their Mm -hmm. age, right? When we start to get much more age difference than that, then there can become a power differential because of height, weight, and, and just cognitive development, right? And we are wired as humans to get what we want, And so you get a much older child in there and they're going to start manipulating the younger one to get what they want. That's human. That is not bad. We do, we do it all the way through our lifespan, right? But what we want to protect our children around is having equal power differentials so that they have the freedom to say, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. They're not going to say that if the power differential is too great. Right. Because they want that older one to like them. It's their oldest brother, their oldest sister, whatever. So I'm always like kids need supervision and they need to be playing with kids the same in the same power range as them. Because then they have the freedom to do what they want to. Is this a good age also to sort of start talking about consent? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the, the books we have so many good books on consent and body autonomy. That you start reading, like I make recommendations of some of those books, even at the toddler age. Right? So I have two granddaughters who are almost six and almost three. And I remember when my oldest one was, I think, four, maybe. We came across a book at the library called um, Don't Hug Doug. And it was all the story of this boy named Doug who did not like hugs, except for from his mom at night when he was going to bed. He want one, one hug from her. Only her, no one else. And it was the cutest story. I loved it so much. But we've got us talking about you own your body and you get to say who touches you and how, just like Doug, 
you know, you get to say, you know, and if you don't ever want something, you get to say, and people need to listen. And if they don't listen, you can tell mama or dada or me or anybody, and we will come to your rescue, you know? And so you start these stories about body autonomy and consent that other people own their bodies that we got to ask before we hug, you know, like that's kind of stuff at the toddler age. Right. So, yeah, that's all that's all going on. And I talk about that, too, in the book and make recommendations of really fun books that help with that. And then that so that's where when parents catch kids playing doctor, if the age differential and the power differential is equal and they both would have felt common saying no, there there are parents who catch that and then they're like, that's sexual abuse you know, whose pants are down or whatever. I'm like, well, tell me the ages of them. Tell me how they play together. You know, are they about the same size? Who's bossier than who? You know, and we usually find out that these kids are just curious and they were both into finding this stuff out. Great. Like that's a sign of health and wellness that kids are curious on task, you know, on, at their age description, right? That's good, you know? And so when we start moving into the seven eights, then between seven and 10, we've got so much cognitive development happening that there is a lot of curiosity coming up from them. And there's a lot that we can teach about anatomy, physiology, about power, about um, consent, about respect, about voice, choice, all kinds of things, um, you know, the autonomies and all of that. So we're really wanting to expand that. And then I'm, I'm always saying somewhere in there, I want you to start talking about media literacy. So as you're watching a show, who's the show written by? It was written by somebody. Well, who was it written for? Who wasn't it written for? Right. And does it feel like it's reality or fantasy? You know, is this really happening out there in the world or is this like entertainment? Mm. You know, and so we begin those questions about the commerce behind our media and that things are written for some people and exclude other people and blah 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 and so we start to to expand that and we're also bringing up in books on diversity equity inclusion racism all kinds of things that then again because by this point by seven to ten their cognitive capacity is exploding and there's a major brain pruning that happens at 11 and so there's a lot of info that we want to kind of begin to discuss and download with them. So when that brain pruning happens, this stuff is kept. It's also why we introduce languages often before the age of 11, because the brain is like exploding, right? We're also setting kids up to have knowledge. You know, we're wanting to do the massive download before 12, because some kids at around 12, they begin to get the hormone downloads. And they start becoming more curious about the opinions of their peer group than they are of their family, right? And so we want to really equip them to be able to discern and think critically about how do I want to be treated? How do I want to treat others? What seems fair? What doesn't? What do I do when I'm not treated fair? Who are my allies? Who can I trust? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. We want to get stuff in before the hormone downloads start to happen. And so with girls, that's happening between 10 and 12. Boys, that's like 12 to 15. But we're wanting to get that in. Boys will have 
testosterone increase in their body by 20 times somewhere in a three-year period, usually 12 to 15. So basically they've gone from a bicycle to a rocket ship and we don't tell them what's happening with their bodies. We need to tell them what's happening with their bodies, that they're going to be experiencing sensations they haven't experienced before, that masturbation, touching themselves is a good thing, that the drive that they have in them is been a part of the human condition forever. It's what keeps our species going. However, you're not ready to be a parent for quite a long time because of the complexity of the world that we live in, but your arousal cycle is a beautiful part of you. It's not somebody else's responsibility to take care of. It is your responsibility to take care of, no matter what gender you identify with. Yeah. And so that's a part of your mental and behavioral health and wellness is to move through your arousal cycle as you need in private protected ways. Um, So we also start talking about Um, what pornography is and what it isn't and what pornography is ethically produced and what isn't and how it's an entertainment and fantasy. It's not reality. And so we don't use it for sex education. We use it for entertainment, but we also use it in ways that are non-exploitive. And so we talk all about all of that stuff too, you know? So um, anyway, all of that is a part of what we're doing. And then we start talking about more complex relationship dynamics when um, the kids are getting into their adolescence. But we talk fast because they don't often want to hear it, right? So it's like I would say to my to my son, who was my first coming through, and I'd say, oh, dude, I totally forgot a story I needed to tell you. And he's like, he'd roll his eyes and he'd go, oh, God, okay, you have 35 seconds. And I'd be like, okay, here we go, boom, you know? Um, because I really wanted to respect that. And I also had learned in my years in my career that when kids are older, when they're in their twenties and thirties, they will almost always say they are grateful that their parents talk to them or they wish they talked to them more. Even if they wouldn't have been very receptive at the time, they wished they would have invested in them that way. So I know that, you know, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this super quick, you know? Um, And and so that's kind of how you do. And so that's why I put the book together in that way is because there are just different things that emerge, different things that they can hear. But we live in a time when we have tons of resources now. We don't advertise them, I think, like we need to. I mean, I think it should be on all major news channels or something. But we have so many good books and so many good websites and so many people that are trying to hold the hands of parents to make to change the legacy and so that we can look forward to a time when kids are like, I know how to teach about sexuality and relationships just as well as I know how to teach about health and wellness Mm. you know and that's that's our goal that's our aim yeah no that sounds like the dream 100 (laughs) percent yeah and like just going back to the whole thing you're saying of hormones and especially for boys I know in my mind what's coming up is like for some parents who might feel maybe they're they're still working through some shame as you're saying maybe some parents would be like, well, why do they need to know that and not really understand why talking about sex is so important? Mm. And so I think Mm. the way that you framed it in terms of like hormones is really good because like that must be so 
I mean, obviously we will be in through puberty, but that must be so confusing. And you're right, the fact that we don't yes. talk about it, just down to like a biological everyday level, not just sex is mm. like crazy. Exactly. Yeah. And so kids don't know, but, and then all they're getting is what they're getting from their friends and from media. And much of that is not helpful to them mm -hmm. in knowing themselves knowing what's happening around them. It's just not helpful, you know? And so they're just like, oh, okay, I guess I need to pretend I want to fuck a bunch of girls. Yeah. Even though maybe I don't want to, or maybe I, maybe that doesn't feel comfortable to me, or maybe that's not where I'm attracted or, you know, they're just, all they're getting is that where what we know from research is when children are given age appropriate Sex, ed, sex and relationship education across time. They get involved in sex later. They make safer sexual choices when they do begin to become sexual, become involved. They have much better voice about what they want and what they don't want. They have lower STI rates and lower teen pregnancy rates. And, and this is the fav my favorite part of the research, they describe themselves as closer to their parents overall. Wow. Because when parents can do sex education and relationship education across time in a non-reactive way, then kids believe my parents can handle me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They can handle hard conversations. They can see me. I'm not having to pretend to be somebody else, you know? And, and so they see their parents as a resource as opposed to when we provide nothing but reactivity Kids feel out in the world alone. Like, I don't have anybody to talk to. So if I've been in an abusive relationship or something awful has happened to me, I don't have anybody I can talk to. Because I'd, I I think I'll only get in trouble. Yeah. Right? People will blame me for what happened, right? And And so we are throwing our kids to the wolves when we don't provide them comprehensive sexuality and relationship education across time they feel very very alone and we've got some really good books and I talk about books I mean books for parents as well as books for kids but like two of the books that I talk about for the kind of pre-adolescent age for parents are two books that were written by Peggy Ornstein who's a New York Times best-selling author and she wrote a book called Girls and Sex and then five years later she wrote a book called Boys and Sex and she interviewed 80 to 100 kids, 15 to 22, about what's it like now. And these kids told her, like, we're really honest. And so if you want to know what kids are facing, the war that they are facing now out in the world, read those books. Because we can do something to equip kids to manage the world. But when we don't get ourselves informed and then do that for our kiddos they are they're facing things that are way beyond their capacity and they're getting lost and assaulted and assaulting you know others because they just don't know they don't know mm. yeah and yeah. The, it's like the the consequences are so much longer lasting than just like those teenage years it's not like okay let's just pretend sex isn't a thing and then in their 20s they can no. like figure it out in their own time it's like okay no this is an ongoing thing yeah and the kind of traumas that kids are experiencing 
to me, it's like, you know, 60 to 80% of kids are girls for sure are experiencing sexual experiences they didn't want and they don't know how to get out of, right? Trauma, real trauma. And there are kids who are assaulting, who later learn, and then they're, they feel horrible about who they were in college or in high school, right? Like we could be saving our kids from this so that they don't have all this residual pain and anguish and trauma and shame into their 20s and 30s, right? Um, we ought to do this. Kids deserve it. Kids deserve to be supported. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in terms of like how much pe- like kids should share with their parents, because I feel like some parents think like, oh, I don't need to know this or like, oh, you don't have to tell me everything about like what's going on with you. What do you think are like the, the boundaries there? Well, again, I think that that's an ongoing conversation. I, there's a wonderful book called Not Under My Roof that's written by Amy Shalit, S-C-H-A-L-E-T. She grew up in Holland where they have some of the best sex education in the world. It's all comprehensive. It starts at kindergarten. It goes all the way through school. Some things every single year. And it's often woven into different subjects as makes sense, right? And this is true in Sweden and Denmark and Norway and Iceland too. Anyway, she grew up there. She came to the States to do grad school and she started to notice how weird um, adolescents were with their parents around sex. Like it was just a silenced conversation and, and it was so odd to her. She was like, I do not get it, you know, because it was so not the way it is in Holland. And so she decided to do a research study where she interviewed families in two cities in Holland and families in two cities in the U.S. And then qualitatively looked at what were the themes that were arising from the parents and from the kids around sexuality and relationships. So this, and then she turned it into this great book. So I say that as a part of the answer to the question. When kids feel like they can trust their parents, they tell their parents what they think their parents are going to be helpful to them about, you know? And so in Holland, what that means is things like, you know, I've got this girlfriend or I've got this boyfriend or I've got this partner and I'm feeling like I might be ready to be more intimate with them. Do you think I am ready? Like, what do you think? They talk to their parents about that. And when they have sex for the first time, it's at home. It's at one of their homes. It's not in the back of a car. It's not somewhere hidden and, and, you know, like shamed. So kids, kids also have learned that their parents have boundaries. So they learn they have boundaries. So they don't tell them everything, but they tell them the things that they think their parents can be helpful to them around. And it's often so much more surprising to U.S. parents, you know, who don't want to know anything because then they think they've done something wrong, Mm. you know, well, They've been doing sex education in this way in those Nordic countries for since the 40s, at least. So we have now generations of families that have just done it this way. They did it that way. Their parents did it that way. Their grandparents did it that way. And so it's just woven into the country in in such an organic way that kids definitely tell their parents more than they do here 
but it's all through a kind of trust that's been built up over time that my parent can be helpful if I ask him this question. They're not going to be reactive. They're going to be able to help me think it through. And so I talk to them about things I think they can help me think it through. So it's true around what should I do when I grow up to what do you think of this friend to am I ready to be sexual to all kinds of things, you know. And then once they get their answer, they're probably not then going to say we've had sex all these times, you know, but it's also not they'll come over with their partner and they'll go up in their room and everybody knows it's fine. That's good. It's healthy. And they all are on birth control, too. I mean, it. (laughs) (laughs) yeah. What's your thoughts on sort of sharing personal stories in a way? Because I feel like a lot of the way in which like I talk to people or like relate to people or whatever is like by sharing like our like you know whatever experience I've been through or whatever but if a kid is asking you about something I don't know like what's like kind of appropriate to share and not yeah that's a really good question and I think it's a discerning kind of question because every kid is different you know there's going to be some kids that are like just don't tell me anything right please don't tell me anything. And, and then there's other kids that are like, no, I'm really curious. What was it like for you? Was it hard for you too? You know? And, and so you kind of have to discern what kind of kid you have and, and what they need. I think the stories that we share need to feel like they have applicable uh, teaching capacity for the child. In other words, we're not just telling them to get off ourselves on I need you to know these sordid details of my past, but it's really, what do I have that might give them insight that will broaden their ability to think, you know? And so, you know, you might share, you know, I dated somebody one time and they just didn't treat me well. And I didn't listen to my gut and I wish I did. My gut was telling me things and I just didn't know yet that how important it was to listen to that. So I want you to listen to what your gut says, you know, because I think your gut is wise. And if your gut, if your gut says, gosh, that wasn't very nice, not treating me very nice. Just know you don't have to put up with that. You deserve better. And it might feel hard to say, I don't want to hang out with you anymore, but just know that you deserve always to be treated like the divine human you are, you know, So it's that kind of thing. You're wanting Mm -hmm. to give them pieces from your story that will help them in just being discerning, but not, they're not going to want, unless they ask for it, they're usually not going to want the sordid details. And I guess like a lot of it comes from observing as well, like observing your parents and how they act. So like, obviously some bad relationships are like an inevitable part of life. So then like how much of that do you kind of let your kids see and like how do you talk to them about it when those things naturally come up in your own life mm-hmm. yeah yeah again I think it's it's wanting what you share with them to serve a purpose for them and again I think this comes back to knowing some things about child development adolescent development knowing some things about your own child and how they are so for example let's say you want to talk about a child's other parent, but you're no longer married to them. Okay. In that situation, 
it is more important for you to be protective of the child's relationship with that parent than it is for you to share a story about what you learned by dating that person. Because if it casts a dark shadow on them, it's going to create conflict inside of them, dissonance inside of them, because they need to have emotionally as good a relationship as they can with both their parents, right? And so you don't want to use that person as an example if it's going to put your child in a, like a catch-22, a loyalty bind. Like, I got to think that way about my parent. Now I don't want to. Like, that doesn't feel good. So so that's an example of a place where you wouldn't go because it's the child's higher need to have as good a relationship as possible. So you need to speak about that person's good qualities, right? Or all the learning that they've done in their life or how much they love them or other things that are supportive of their relationship with that person. And you're protective to not destroy that because it really creates emotional disturbances in children, adolescents, adults, if you talk badly about their parent. Mm. Yeah. No, it's so it's so interesting how like it can all kind of feeds into each other and I think it can get really easy to like get caught up in your own life as we can say but like obviously it is important to kind of like take everyone's feelings into consideration Mm -hmm. so I really like what you're saying about like that two-way communication because I feel like yeah it's just something everyone needs to hear. I wanted to talk about bodies and the hormonal shame you said that can come up in puberty because I think like everyone's default is to just generalize about being a teenager and like oh when you're a teenager it's natural to feel this shame and it's natural to feel this or that and I just wondered like how true that actually is and then like how you can talk to kids about their body even if it's like not in a sexual way just in like a confidence kind of way sure I think growing up in definitely the U.S. but there I'm I'm I know that there are other countries too where kids are not given sort of body and sex information it's not positive and all of that and and so what they're most influenced by is what's happening in culture right this is, we see this for sure in the U.S. And so when you're thrust into a consumer-driven, market-driven economy that's all around you, that says you're only valuable if you have a level of perfection that's not even humanly possible. And that, that's true about the culture simultaneously kids are beginning to look outside their family for what what's the messages what's happening in my peer group what's the influences right and so social media is becoming more important and what others think and feel it becomes more important and but it's so much more shallow with regard to what's actually going to make you happy in fact it's it's the goal of a market driven capitalistic country is we need for you to feel badly about yourself so you keep purchasing. Like that's inherent in it, right? 
And now all my friends think mm-hmm. that too. And everywhere I look, I'm getting that message. And I'm not looking, my parents don't know anything. So I'm not looking to them anymore, right? And and so they're they're really unprotected kind of out there, you know? And it's part of why we need so many more outside influences that are realistic and sex positive and body positive, whether it's in our TV shows or in, you know, certain Instagrams that you follow or TikToks that you follow or Reddits that you follow, like be discerning to follow things that are actually help you feel better about yourself because that's really more true than driving our economy by the fact that you feel bad. So you need to go do this surgery, buy these clothes, take these pills, whatever the deal is, right? All of that is set on destroying you in order to keep you needy of purchasing. Yeah. So, so we have children's natural inclination to look outside themselves. That's growing in adolescence, right? But we don't necessarily have enough supports in, in culture supporting them. So in the Scandinavian countries where they continue to have conversations about health and wellness and sexuality and bodies and all goodness and all that, now they keep getting stuff that helps them critique the outside world. They have something. But when we fail to provide that for them, then kids are really vulnerable in the world, you know, and they they really need somebody saying, how do you discern what you follow, who you follow, why you follow them? Like, how do you figure out who's worthwhile to follow? You know, and parenting has to become more about questions as kids get to be pre-adolescents and adolescents. If you just do this, kids go underground, right? They just stop telling you things. They tell you what you want to hear. So you really want to be asking them to think for themselves and then just be curious about, what they're thinking and why that makes sense to them. And have they ever found somebody that feels like it, they're hurtful the way they talk about whatever, whatever, you know, like this kind of thing. We can't expect kids to not be their job description. They are going to be identifying with their peer groups when they are in adolescence. That's part of what they're doing is they're individuating from the family unit, right? And that happens over many years. And so you need to work with that. But given the world that a lot of our kids are growing up in, we also need to help them think critically, right? And we don't do that by telling them how to think and what to do. We do that by asking them questions about what are they employing and why does that make sense, right? And it's respecting their life stage. It's respecting them. I mean, I, I know many families that are very authoritarian and they don't let kids think on their own. They're making all the decisions for them. And then these poor children go to college and they are set free for the first time and they have no stops in place because nobody helped them cultivate any, any discernment at all. And then they find themselves in situations that are harmful to them. And then they can't tell anybody because the home that they came from was do this, don't do that. And so they can't tell them, right? So they have no one to tell but their friends. And they often don't even tell their friends if it's something that's really deep and meaningful. They keep it to themselves and it goes underground and it's super hurtful there. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, for sure. I, I really love all you're saying about, like, it's very important to sort of be able to discern for yourself and, like, think critically and all of that, and especially, like, in the, in, in terms of having, like, media literacy and being able to consume media. Because realistically, kids' lives now happen online. Like, you know, parents have no idea what their kids are doing on their phones, and they're, like, looking at all this sorts of age, not appropriate stuff and that kind of thing. And so if you can sort of lessons from the very beginning and definitely I feel like there should be a big focus on yeah like media literacy and that kind of thing. I think media literacy like diversity equity inclusion education as well as sex and body education needs to be happening every single year and if possible woven into multiple subjects Mm, yeah you know because it's an integrated part of their life and so we want them to think about it that way and to understand it that way but you are so right How many people, I mean, we have a third of the U.S. who cannot think critically about politicians in the U.S. Cannot think critically at all. Like they will choose to listen to media outlets who research shows shares 19% of what they say is true. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 81% is false information, full-blown false information. And people still adhere to that because their amygdala says, wow, this is scary. It must be true. Wow, this is scary. It must be true. You know, and they can't think critically. How in the heck are they raising kids to think critically when they can't think critically? You know, and so I think media literacy is an urgent need right now in society it's an urgent need and it doesn't seem like we're getting it yet yeah no no it's it's honestly crazy like it's insane because also yeah parents like half of the time they don't know what's going on in the phones and what yeah i feel like they don't even have a breadth of the kind of stuff that that these kids are consuming so and honestly everyone needs it not just like the kids now like the parents everyone (laughs) get them caught up yes exactly (laughs) i mean these these skills are critical to life success and happiness i mean critical and we're not getting it yet and it's because why there's no money involved yeah i was just gonna say (laughs) i love what you said about like body positivity and like capitalism because I I think about that so much in terms of sex and parenting and like pleasure and stuff because like obviously everyone says they just want to be happy in life but none of us actually well not none of us but like so many people have problems with pleasure in their life and like whether it's like balance between work and life or just like maybe they just don't have a good relationship with sex or anything else that gives them pleasure and it's like that's just what life is all about (laughs) why are we not teaching our kids how to have a healthy relationship with pleasure and they're trying to show us that children are trying to show us that that it's about connection and pleasure life is about connection and pleasure true connection safe connection honoring connection and pleasure fun joy you know these kinds of things and Yes, there's going to be things we need to do that aren't super fun, but that's just part of life, right? We've got things we've got to do. But our joy comes from connection and pleasure, you know, really feeling seen, known, loved, and accepted, and sharing joy with those people. You know, there's a 
study right now, an mm-hmm. 85 year study, a longitudinal study at Harvard called the happiness study. And it's looking at, it's looking at all the variables in people's lives. And this is now into the third generation. What are the, the qualities that seem to correlate to longevity and happiness? And it keeps coming back to relationships, good, loving, safe, mm. fun relationships. And the more I have those, the more I'm contributing to my happiness and my longevity, more than any other factors. You know, mm-hmm. again, when you live in a society that makes its money off of the products are more important than people, which is a core value in the U.S., unfortunately, then you're not talking about these things because they're, they're not a pharmaceutical. They're not a whatever, you know. And we're watching people's lives suffer all around us, you know, and it's, it's fixable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So raise your kids to be in touch with <laughs> their bodies and their pleasure, basically from a young age. And as yeah. you said, Absolutely. get towards that, yeah. that dream of everyone being happy. <laughs> I, the first book I wrote was called Sex, God and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy. And it, and it was a, it came from, how much pain and suffering I saw in the lives of people who had been raised in conservative environments and gotten abstinence education. And so many of people who come from those backgrounds, especially the women, they were taught that men are not to be trusted, that they assault because they are sexual animals. And that if you get assaulted, it's because you did something, you showed your collarbone, you were out at night, you were drinking, you were something. And culture supports that that thinking too, right? Still women's fault. And so for them to even get in touch with pleasure feels dangerous. Because mm-hmm. if I do, I'm opening myself up for assault, even within my relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's just better to shove it all down and make sex and touch, make that obligatory so that I'm protected. It's super sad because you have to do so much therapeutic work to help them realize that it's a gift. Their desire for connection and pleasure is a gift of joy into their life and that they can do that and still protect themselves, right? They just need to be in relationships with people who will listen and honor them, which sometimes is a big ask because some people are already in relationships where who they're with thinks that they deserve their partner's body whenever they want it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so sad. And yeah, it just, I mean, everything just, as you were saying about the happiness project, like so much of our lives is this. And it's just, it really blows my mind. Everything that we talk to anyone about, like why we're not talking about this. Like my granddad's like, why can't you be interested in like flowers or something? (laughs) (laughs) Like this is so important. So yeah, I mean, I think this is like super important and Mm. I really hope that people can like read your work and just learn a little bit about it. And going forward, like I think definitely our generation are getting there in terms of these conversations and hopefully like it will just become more common that that's how we parent our kids when we inevitably become parents but 
Yeah, I have lots of hope for you. I think people will definitely learn a lot. I mean, I, I selfishly, I'm starting a teaching job, so I was quite curious about, like, you know, age-appropriate conversations to have because I'm so, like, passionate about how, like, sex education should be so much more comprehensive. So I'm, like, really grateful. Thank you so much. I feel, like, like more equipped to, you know, spread this message <laughs> out in the real time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'll let you know that... Um... Everything that's in the Shameless Parenting book, I you can also get as handouts. Oh, amazing. Um, you just have to go to my website and then go to the store link, and it'll take you to a place where you can get handouts for teachers, handouts for doctors, oh, wow. handouts for clergy, handouts for um, therapists, whatever. And so you can actually, like, they're front back, you know, like birth to two, front back, two to four, front back you know, whatever. And you just, you can make copies and give them out to parents. So when you're working with them, it just makes it really easy to be like, ah, oh, you know, you kids are doing all kinds of things now. This is a piece of it. Feel free to take anything off this sheet that might be helpful to you. But that's how the book actually in it got written was that I first was working on handouts for professionals because I knew they weren't getting training and they were wishing they had it. And I thought, what can I give them that will help their job be easier so I worked on these handouts and I was sending the handouts around to some colleagues of mine to say, what did I miss? And one of my colleagues said, you know, this also ought to be in a book. And I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. And so then I just, I mean, it's very, as you see, it's very didactic. It's like, you know, really easy, you know? And, um, but I thought, okay, I'm going to take your word for it. And I just wrote an opening and closing chapter and then put the thing together and added a bunch of pictures and we called it a book, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, it started out as handouts. That's amazing. So, and they're there. That's so cool. That's an amazing resource. I'm definitely yeah. going to check it out. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for all our listeners, can you tell them like where they can find Shameless Parenting and like maybe your social media and your website and anything else you want to share? So um, the book Shameless Parenting, everything you need to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too is you can get on Amazon anywhere. And sometimes where books are sold to other books are sold too. And then Sex God in the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy is also available on Amazon and at other booksellers and, and just shares the arc of how did the Western religions become sex negative and culture become sex negative. And, and was it always meant to be there or was there some sex positive stuff that got buried, which there was. And so I talk about that in a chapter. And then I'm like, this is how you heal your sexual shame. And these are some practices you can do if you want to integrate sexuality and spirituality. And so really that's what that book is about. You can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Tina, Dr. Tina Shameless. So Dr. Tina Shameless is where I am on Instagram. I have an institute that trains physicians and therapists and teachers in sexual health because I know they don't get it when they're going through their schooling, their graduate schooling. And that you can follow that group at NW Northwest, NW Institute on Intimacy. And you can learn about how to take courses on lots of things around sexuality and sexual health. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I'm on Twitter. I think I'm... Tina S. Sellers on Twitter, but I'm not super active on Twitter, but I've got stuff there. Yeah, and people are always welcome to reach out to me. I'm often able to point them in directions of resources or whatever, and I'm happy to do that.
Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been so informative for us and hopefully for our listeners. And yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It was so great to be with both of you. I'm so glad you're doing this work. It's wonderful. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks so much to Dr. Tina for joining us today and talking to us all about shameless parenting and just really like getting to know a bit more about like child development and what some appropriate conversations might be I've I've really appreciated her giving like actual examples Mm -hmm. and I don't know it just really got me thinking about my life so I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording with her yeah I feel like this is a big conversation that comes into like sex education in schools Mm. and like legislation of like safeguarding kids and like it's not age appropriate to talk about this stuff but it's like if they want to know why are we gatekeeping this gossip from them yeah this this knowledge (laughs) the sexy tea yeah like they deserve to know and saying that it's like safeguarding kids to not tell them about this stuff is literal bullshit and we need to give them the information that they want to know so they can have a good, happy life. So I hope this is our, like, last episode of the mini-series that's with a guest. Next week, it's just going to be us, but... Yeah, and we'll be wrapping up a little bit of, like, what we've been talking about as well as getting into Gen Z's thoughts on raising children and more of more of our perspective on sort of what we think on these issues so Mm. definitely tune in for that (laughs) yeah but I hope you guys have learned so much from all our amazing guests we definitely have and you know where you can find Dr Tina and as always you know where you can find us on Instagram TikTok Facebook threads at Sextras Podcast literally posted like two threads um on our website sextraspodcast.com or you can email us sextraspodcast at gmail.com and we'll be back next week with the last episode of our family parenting and sex mini series so we'll see you next tuesday bye You've been listening to Sextras, presented by Honey Jane Wyatt and Maria Jose Hayodatiyi, produced by Mabel Productions. Sex.